0: Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have a very old friend of mine with us today. It's um, Sean Riley. He lives in Minnesota, but he does not work in Minnesota. Come on in, Sean. How are you doing? Hey,
1: April. I'm, I'm not that old, April. I only have a little gray hair. None up here at all <laughs> yet. So, old friend, and, but not that old yet.
0: Well, we were 17 when we met. I think we had both You maybe had just turned 18, like, right when we met at the community college, like, right around that same week or so. Really close. Yeah,
1: really close. And
0: I turned, I think you were about a month older than me. So we turned 18 right around the same time. We were, I don't know, fresh-faced kids in the college setting as, we were both high school seniors, right?
1: PSEO post-secondary enrollment option right both going to college while in high school yeah
0: I think nowadays they call it like dual enrollment and all these other things but it wasn't like we were taking in high school classes um and college classes at the high school we were like literally on campus
1: 100 percent in college yeah yeah full-time as as juniors and seniors or something like that
0: I was a I was a senior did you start in your senior year too
1: uh, you know, I started taking classes actually in my sophomore year. I took electrical engineering classes, but I wasn't on campus all the time. Minnesota oh. didn't allow that yet.
0: Right. So I did
1: my first ones at um, Winona State, uh-huh. and I took a couple classes there. Then my junior year, a couple classes. First year I did it full time was my senior year.
0: So I don't my think senior I knew this year in high you. school, I was
1: full time in RC- RCTC. or yeah. At that time, it was still RCC, I
0: think. I think it was RCTC, but. I think they had just made that transition, so basically the yeah. technical college and the community college were joining forces. I remember
1: being there for the uh, unveiling of the new logo. Oh. so they were RCC and became RCTC somewhere yeah. while we were going to school. Then. Oh,
0: wow, so, yeah. yeah. Well, we met in I want to say, and I'm going to screw this up. I think it was Dr. Lee's class. And the funny it thing about have
1: been Dr. It, Lee English I class re- honors honors in English, right?
0: actually it was like seven honors
1: english or something like
0: that no it was like i feel like it was like 101 and i i had never had (laughs) okay so i was homeschooled and my mom had bought a really nice english curriculum for me and i had a television in my room and so she was working with my younger brothers and sisters at the time my mom was like putting out a bunch of babies and focus on them. And I was pretty independent. And so I would go in my room and I'd pretend that I was working, but actually I was just reading um, novels and watching TV. And I ignored my English textbook for all of call it or all of my high school years. And then I get to this, uh, you know, intro to English, whatever. I think it was mandatory. It was like 101, 102, 103, something like that. Um, well, I struggled in that class and everything was a breeze for you because you actually probably had studied English <laughs> yeah I don't
1: I don't remember ever taking a 101 class I thought I started one it
0: probably <laughs> was something different yeah I don't know but it was like one of the mandatory ones um but the funny thing is is that I just remember um not knowing I couldn't understand why his name was doctor Dr Lee or Dr loon or whatever it was um and that's the part that I focus on is that he was doctor and I was I was like, is he a medical doctor? Because I I was so naive that I didn't even realize that you could get doctorates and other things other than medicine. So I was like really green-faced when I came in. Um, Yeah, a lot has changed. It's been a long time.
1: That's what college is for.
0: Yeah, learn a lot. So I think that we spent most of our time playing cards in the atrium and Uh hanging out. We kind of ended up with a collection of friends, and then you ended up marrying one of those friends.
1: Mm-hmm. I did. Did,
0: did you meet yep. Michelle through the school?
1: Yeah. Uh, we actually, we had a dance class together, so uh, we... I don't I don't know if I'd even really seen her much uh, here and there, uh, walking around, but uh, we had a dance class as our Fayed, and I went down there uh, to the dance. It was down in the gym. It's way in the bottom back end of the school, and... Uh, I had a class at like three o'clock, and the dance didn't start till five thirty. And I think she had kind of similar schedule, but I go down there just to sit in that atrium in front of the gym, and she was sitting there with a book uh, that was about Henry VIII, and I'm a history nerd too, so Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, hey, and. I honestly didn't even notice there was like a girl behind the book. I just saw the book and I went, <laughs> "Oh!" Ah, ah. You know, and let's talk about her today. Yeah. You know, so, and and uh, and because she thought I was weird, she made sure absolutely not to be my partner in the dance class.
0: Ooh, so yeah. it
1: was like, no, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, and that was easy for her because it was like eighty five per. 85% gals and about 15% guys. And okay. So it was easy for her to avoid me. But uh, we kept having that same connection over and over again, coming down to that that classroom a couple hours early and talking and being there. And then at some point she decides that we should go have spaghetti. And so she we go to uh, hy V local grocery store. We go to Hy-Vee. And she wants spaghetti. I'm like, um, you know, I live an hour away because I was still commuting from my actual home. I'm like, where are we going to do spaghetti? We'll do it at my parents' house. She says, okay, fine. Um, so we go and she just sits down in the spaghetti aisle on the floor and does this and stares up and down going, I don't know what sauce we use. <clears throat> and some old guy walks by looking at her going, there's this blonde gal sitting in the middle of the of the aisle, and she looks up at him and goes, what's the best spaghetti sauce? And he just kind of big eyes and looks, and he looks at me, and he looks at her, and he does a back and forth, a couple guys, and goes, this one, and he just picks one off and hands it to her. <laughs> and she jumps up all happy as a clam, and off to go, buys the spaghetti, and they go to her house. And uh, the real test that I didn't know was the test was Othello. If you've ever played this game, right, it's...
0: Oh, yes, the, the black and white?
1: Squares. Yeah, the little black and white things, right? Yeah, love it. So I I don't know that I played the game more than once or twice in my whole life. Well, this was her thing. Like, she is the goddess of Othello.
0: I was really and good There at was it this too.
1: challenge in her mind that men are only worthy if they're good at Othello. So I never really played the game, but I'm one of these math nerds so i just look at the board and it's 64 squares and it's an eight by eight and it's a flip over you know binary well real real uh computer guy thing right black and white i i'm colorblind so it even appealed to me better but uh so i look at this and go oh i can do the math so i win the game <clears throat> and it <laughs> irritates her so much that she says i have to come back for another dinner so she can play me Othello. Couldn't care less about dinner. Didn't care less about me as, like, boyfriend. Nothing. Like, it was just
0: we'll win Othello. Yeah. Yes.
1: So she brings me over again, and, and I win. And she brings me over again, and I win. And then I win. And, yeah, and I was <laughs> on, like, a seven-game streak. And I'm finally at this point of fine. If I don't ever let her win, she's just going to start stabbing me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if she were here, she would say that she won with her amazing power and, in in game skills. But,
0: <laughs> but you know better.
1: I'm like, I, I'm like, this game's easy. It's a four by or eight by eight grid on math. With two, two, yep. you know, yeah. options, a zero and a one to me. I'm like, I can math this thing out of here. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I but, used to uh, play that
0: game online. Like there are people that are like brutal in that game and you learn a few strategies and it sounds like you figured it out quick. <laughs>
1: I would, I would imagine everybody, everybody who wins does the same thing. It's real simple uh, strategies, but but anyway, yeah.
0: that
1: that ended up being the introduction, and uh, many years later, uh, with all kinds of complications, right? Uh, you know the story of my siblings. This is something I've talked about publicly before. Uh, I've done some some speeches on, but uh, you know, my, my father was an alcoholic. Um, my mother had all kinds of mental problems and, and drug problems. And, uh, I ended up at the age of 22, ended up being the guardian of my 16, 14 and 12 year old siblings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all all that and Michelle still put up with all that and she still put up with me. Um, and we ended up getting married and you were there for the wedding. Yeah. The super super ice storm wedding where uh where the semi jackknifed right in front of all the uh all the uh maids of honor and oh, and the bride no. in their car and the semi jackknifed in front of them and the semi jackknifed behind them and they're stuck in their car looking around going crap
0: <laughs> Oh my gosh. I don't think yeah. I knew that part of the story. Yeah. Um but actually, so you know, it's kinda weird, like, you know, the The people that we know in our life and, like, this random person that I knew in college. And, like, I had been in, like, your childhood home. You've been in my childhood home. Like, we were just good friends. Well, when I came to your wedding, I met Steve Curry. He was a photographer. And we had some photography chat. And I ended up working with him and his wife for several jobs doing photography. And then through Steve, I met some people. And then through those people... I ended up um, relocating. To, down, I met a whole bunch of wonderful people down in Missouri and found mm-hmm. a church that I really liked there. And I was living in Missouri for a couple of years. And my husband had also moved to Missouri to be closer to his, um, to his brother. And lo and behold, we met in Missouri. And I can trace it back to the connections that I met through you, actually. So thank you for introducing me to my husband um, in a very <laughs> roundabout way. Um, it's just weird, you know, like
1: it's the uh, randomness of the universe.
0: It is. It's, It's cool though. I like to think about that. Um, so we had, um, known each other in, in college and then we, you know, went our separate ways and you married a friend and, um, you still live in the same area where my parents live. I think you guys are only maybe 15, 20 minutes away. Um, so in rural, uh, Minnesota. Yes. But you work for North Dakota and you usually live there. So, okay. Let me just say this. Sean is one of the smartest people I know. And I always feel a little intimidated talking to you because I just know that you could probably, like, just wipe the carpet with me um, as far as, like, (laughs) proving me wrong and all the things. But I feel like we have, you know, a lot of history. And so that's – it's fun So would you be willing to just talk a little bit about your journey and how you got to now? Like, I know I've been on your farm. I know your wife. I know about your kids. But why don't you let everyone else know how you got to now?
1: Yeah. So uh, that could be a 10-hour conversation or a book. We got Uh, about 20 uh, minutes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, So really, I'll I'll do the super fast version. Uh, I was born in Minnesota moved to Tennessee because my parents were going to college in Tennessee at UT Knoxville when they were there my father decided to be able to pay their way through college by being a blacksmith at what was then Silver Dollar City today it's oh, Dollywood
0: we uh, lived but near at the there oh the time
1: silver dollar oh, city
0: the other one yep. okay yeah yep, the
1: other one not the one in Missouri but the right. one in Tennessee okay, the one yep. next, uh, next to Knoxville yeah and uh interesting times. But as I said, my parents, my parents had all kinds of addiction problems and my parents had grown up in abusive situations. And for myself and my four siblings life growing up, uh, the best word I ever use is entertaining, right? It Mm -hmm. it wasn't a good time. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, uh, we moved back to the Minnesota area. We were in La Crosse, Wisconsin for a little while. We were supposed to go to Alaska, but we went from La Crosse, Wisconsin, all the way to Lanesboro, Minnesota, which is about 45 miles away, and, and stopped a beautiful, there. And a um, beautiful
0: city, by the way. Like is, We would go there is. for vacation. If we ever needed to build a cabin, I think we'd try to put it in Lanesboro.
1: It, it is. It's a beautiful little town there, uh, and, and it was on a whole bunch of magazines. as one of the most picturesque small towns in America kind of thing. Beautiful little little area there, but uh, went to Lanesboro, and in Lanesboro, uh, my parents' issues uh, kind of festered, and the other complications came about. So as kind of things went on, I end up uh, I, I end up going through a whole bunch of things that were just kind of crazy. So we end up getting taken out of the home, getting put back in the home. Um, there was Massive abuse stuff going on. We have a guy who ended up hanging from a ceiling fan in our living room. I mean, it was just, you know, all the kind of stuff that you could throw into a into a cable TV movie at some point if you wanted to. But it's a long story. But what it came down to is a few people in the community kind of took pity on us as the kids. And a gentleman by the name of Hyatt King, he, he, he asked me to learn with him. And I'm like, okay. Um, and he started teaching me a little bit about technology and business. And I had, I had picked up a little here and there. Another gentleman in the community, uh, he was, uh, he worked for American express and he asked me to come over and work on his windows 3.1 computer Mm -hmm. and that Windows 3.1 computer, he goes, uh, so, uh, what are you going to charge me? And to be honest, I was like, I'm not at home. I'm happy as can be. You know, and he goes, how long have you been here? I'm um, a little over an hour. He goes, here's 20 bucks. I'm like, 20 bucks. Holy, you know, wow. You know, uh, and with that, he then, next time I met with him, he says, so what are you going to call your company? So what, what company, what, what are you talking about? Uh, and he walked me through the process of starting an LLC and I actually then at the age of 16, at the age of sixteen, I had three hundred some different customers from around southeast Minnesota to build websites and a bunch of other customers to fix computers and a bunch of other customers uh, to do cable modem installs. I was working with Bresnan and Charter and those guys. Uh, so here I'm a sixteen year old with a business. Not frankly, not because I'm super smart. I know you said I'm super, <laughs> super smart, but it's not because <laughs> of that. It was it was honestly it was because I wanted to eat and so did my siblings. Yeah. Um, that then started propelling things forward and over the years I end up in court with my parents multiple times and by the time I get to, you know, September the 4th of 2001 this is, you know, everybody everybody who lived through that era know remember September 2001 but for me I remember it for two things but the week before 9/11 I have a duplex in Rochester, Minnesota. At the time, I had a duplex in Rochester, Minnesota. I lived in the upstairs, and I was laying on my couch, and all of a sudden, I hear this rustling on my back deck. I walk out the back, and my father's standing there with this garbage bag of stuff, and standing next to him is my two brothers and my sister, and he drops the bag on the deck, and he looks at me, and he goes, they're your problem now. And he walks down the steps, he gets in his car and he squeals the tires around the corner and he's gone. And there, all of a sudden, I'm a 22 year old kid,
0: we a 16, three. 14
1: and 12 year old kid. Yeah. <clears throat> My one sister who was 18 was out of the home by then. So, you know, she didn't live with us, but mm-hmm. I had to figure this stuff out. And, you know, you survive, you adapt, you overcome. That's all there is, right? That's, and it was that's right before you were getting
0: married. Be. And when you did get married, you had a baby in that next year and like everything was just propelling. I remember visiting your home and it was cool because you would have, you know, everyone had their own computers and you were having like LAN parties. And you'd walk in and it was like 20 below in February and you'd be like, yeah, we had to open the windows because it's too hot in here from all of the computers and people. Um, But yeah.
1: That was was back when monitors were very big and very, very heating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like little furnaces. Another thing I remember um, from back when we were in community college together is that you were also teaching community, uh, like community classes, community ed type classes for um, learning computer skills for like, say, the older generation.
1: Yeah, it was it was strange, right? I was 16, 17 when I started teaching classes and everybody was always older than me and usually by a lot. Um, you know, it was the, uh, the grandparents trying to set me up with their granddaughters kind of thing all the time, uh, it it happened all the time, um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting, but it, what it, what it led me to was, it led me to this kind of this, uh, adapt and overcome spirit and this idea of trying to figure out how, how, how do you herd cats while Hmm. being the mouse? Mm. and how do you try to help to move the world around you that outranks you, where everybody outranks me, and yet I still need to be able to help move the world. And it moved me into this other aspect that you know, when I was in my early 20s, all I wanted to do was conquer the world. And I will say, right, I grew up in this this, this environment that, that was not good for me and not good for anybody, but I, I was an angry person. It was very difficult to wrap my head around the troubles of the world. And, uh, but I started learning about myself and I started learning about who I was and what I wanted to become. And what that led me to was this mindset that instead of trying to conquer the world, I want to do something to help the world. So by, you know, 2004, as I'd been working for IBM at that point, uh, an interesting story from working from home here I am in 2004. My team members, my boss was in Raleigh-Durham in North Carolina. My primary team was in Austin, Texas. My secondary team was in Toronto. And my other secondary team was in Osaka, Japan. And we worked together all the time, right? And I actually, when I started doing that in 2001-ish, 2002-ish with IBM, uh, that became normal for me. We're having my boss you know on the other side of the country and our team all over the world that just mm-hmm. became the normal thing
0: were you all in offices just all over the place and having to just com- communicate electronically
1: most, or was anyone working most from of home the too? time we were in offices it wasn't it wasn't you know in your in your home as much but there were people who did that mm-hmm. uh, but it was certainly uh, fewer people at that point mm-hmm when i was working for ibm and i decided hey want i want to go do something else to to help the world cuz i want i want to do something to make people's lives better instead of just make more people more money i went to mail clinic and at mail uh, um at mail i started as the help desk manager over 3 people and that was at the austin campus the austin minnesota campus right And within uh, a few months, I was the manager of the help desk, the networks, the servers team and the programming team. And a few months after that, I'm the director of IT. And a few months after that, I am the uh, CIO for the Austin and Albert Lee. So over my career, very, very quickly, I was um, a CIO, a CTO, the CMO, CMIO, I think, um, COO, et cetera, et cetera. To the point where my, my wife thought it was hilarious to poke my daughter, our, our actual daughter at the time, to put together a sign and glue it to my office door that said, Chief EIEIO. So that was, <laughs> <clears throat> and that's my favorite title. I still claim the Chief EIEIO title. Um, but we worked through, in that environment where uh, ultimately I was reporting directly to the CIO of the health systems. And then I ended up reporting to the vice president of operations for all of Mayo clinic. But in those environments, you know, we had people all over the country. And so for for the team that reported through me, uh, we had managers in 22 cities across Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Mm-hmm our teams were even in more communities because Mm -hmm. we had it on the ground everywhere Uh, ultimately by the time i started on the enterprise side the teams were across seven different states so we had minnesota iowa wisconsin arizona uh, florida georgia and massachusetts and our teams were across all those seven states and in those environments you have to figure out how to work from home. You have to figure out how to telecommute. You have to figure out how to manage organizations at a distance.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we go through having all these cool titles. And what I became known for at Mail was basically taking on the projects nobody else wanted to do. Uh, basically, the hard stuff. So, you know, demand management for 19 hospitals and 72 clinics, the consolidation of IT for the entire Mail Clinic health system, mm-hmm. the Uh, complete upheaval of all network environments across 436 locations across all of Mayo, all that kind of stuff.
0: So I was actually working for Mayo during those years as well as a teleworking transcriptionist. So I worked on site uh, from, I think it was like 2001-ish until 2008. And then I went and I moved home teleworking. So not only did you have people across all of these things, but like you said, the help desk um, was overseen. They when they unified it, they were overseen. So then you had people in like literally, I think all the continental U.S. probably yep. did they have Hawaii too, but yeah, people could live anywhere. Um, and so then they were supporting everyone. Like I was in the middle of the night, so I was talking to people in Florida in the middle of the night. And so I'm assuming that probably you were overseeing a lot of that when I was actually like an employee.
1: Yes. Yes. And. Um... A lot of of great stuff that was going on, and it gave me this reputation for being a crazy CIO because i take on stuff that nobody else would take on. And uh, along then comes uh, further growth in my my career, but uh, Governor Doug Burgum in North Dakota. And if you don't know Governor Burgum at all, he is an IT guy through and through. Uh, made his, made his fortune and made his career on technology really truly believes in his heart that we can make the lives of people better through the use of technology. And I, I uh, (laughs) had this reputation for being the crazy CIO and they were quote unquote looking for a crazy CIO. And so they're searching around, they asked me to apply, I go apply. And uh, with these conversations, um, the governor asked me to come up to North Dakota, and it's in the middle of legislative session, so you know, male, I'm a male clinic guy for the last 13 years, so I, I show up suit and tie, legislators everywhere suit and tie, the whole mess you know, bustling everywhere you know, kind of thing, and you just kind of expect that. Well, they asked me to come in and interview with the governor, so I go down the little hallway and go into his office and uh, pop open the door and then come in and Here's standing this gentleman in blue jeans and just a blue jacket, and he rolls this big purple yoga ball up to the side of a table, and he sits down on it. And goes, please sit down. Let's talk. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I kind of like this guy. Uh, <laughs> so I sit down with him, and he tells me he tells me about how he wants to be able to make people's lives better. And he walks through education and infrastructure and agriculture and all of these different things that government works with and all of these different things that we could do to really be able to make the world a better place. And here he is, one of the busiest people you've probably ever seen, because he's, he's constitutionally mandated to meet with legislators for at least 15 minutes each kind of thing. Right. He, you know, middle of legislative session, meetings, 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 meetings everywhere. Everybody wants his time. And he spends two hours talking to me. And at the end of this, he goes, so what do you think? And I'm like, well, sir, I have to talk to my wife, but I'm in. (laughs) So that's in Bismarck, North Dakota. Our farm is in southeast Minnesota. Uh, How long have a commute is that? We are about eight hours away from each other, uh, 511 miles door to door. Mm. And I'm going, hmm, how do we make this work? well the amazing thing is is the governor is uh like i said he's an it guy well Mm -hmm. he's worked in these multi-state multinational organizations his whole life and so have i now uh and the reality is is he says so what be where you need to be when you need to be there and Mm -hmm. i go that's great that's that's kind of how i like to act anyway so when I need to be in Bismarck, I'm in Bismarck. When I need to be somewhere else in the States, you know, Fargo or Grand Forks or Minot or wherever it needs to be, I am there. Uh, but on the other hand, is this when I don't need to be there, I can be down here.
0: Yeah. So I in know that reality. you guys, yep. I know you guys did like a big hunt trying to find property that you could all be happy with up in North Dakota. And that went on for some time.
1: Yep. And, and we, uh, we tried to get a farm and that's a little more complicated in the Bismarck area to get a farm that meets the the needs of, uh, of my wife. And, uh, and she has, uh, chickens and ducks and turkeys and geese and bunnies and bees. And basically any critter that is either furry or flies is fair game. Uh, so all, all critters are fair game for her. So we have (laughs) all these critters everywhere. And, uh, she really wanted to be able to keep that experience for the kids and really keep the farm territory Mm -hmm. and i I also i enjoy the land and and everything Mm -hmm. that goes with it
0: well and Um, she was really involved in the school system and with the kids and them in 4-h and all the things and so at one point you finally just decided let's just do both
1: that that's what we decided we said well let's just do both so uh i i bought a townhouse on the missouri river so i've got a little dock out the back Um, and, and I, the guy who never learned to swim because it just never happened, uh, now get in a kayak and I row four miles, uh, every day that I can kayak, uh, not so much, you know, right now, but. Did you, did you (laughs) learn how to swim? No, not yet. Uh, I wear a life jacket.
0: Good (laughs) idea. Good plan. Yeah.
1: I wear the big life jacket, so. Um, but, uh, no, I, I like to kayak and I go back and forth kayaking, but, uh, that's kind of my evening thing when I'm, when I'm up there. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we figured out how to have a two state, two location home. I go back and forth. The kids go back and forth with me sometimes. And in Mm -hmm. fact, when we're in teleschool environment, uh, actually all three of the kids graduated last year out of their Minnesota school from Bismarck wow! because they were all working at our place in Man- Mandan, which is the West side of the river, the better side of the river. But anyway, uh, uh, we, were, we were on the West side of the river in Mandan, but they, yeah, they all took their last uh, about 10 days of school from up there because mm-hmm. there was no difference in where they were. And it was uh, super convenient to be able to kind of go wherever we wanted to go and still be able to, do school and I can still do work and Michelle can do everything except feed the craters remotely.
0: So let's talk about why you're working out of Minnesota right now. Do you want to tell that story?
1: Yeah. So right now, um, this one, this one's a little harder right now, but, uh, we're in the middle of legislative session. I would love to be in person for this, but, uh, my, my wife had a little skiing accident back in January a uh, returning accident, the boots she...
0: accident or <laughs> returning the skis accident
1: yeah um putting the skis away she falls on something and dislocates her knee tears her mcl and her pcl which is sad <laughs> um but um this is something i guess you know when you think about how technology has enabled us so i was i was actually in uh, I was in Bismarck, this is January the 31st. I was there for a John Maxwell conference. I had uh, lunch with John Maxwell that day and then we're going to his event. And while in the middle of his event, my son, Alex, calls me. And Alex only calls me for two things, either something that is completely unnecessary to call me for, or something that is massively necessary to call me for. And there's no in-between so i look at it and i go hmm hmm all right i'll think about this and then about five minutes later he calls me again i go okay that's the problem so then i i jump out of the meeting quickly and sure enough he's like yeah mom dislocated her broke her leg is what he said at that point because that's what they knew uh but uh so here i am in a car then driving the eight hours back to uh, minnesota as fast as i can that evening yeah and where in a in a different environment i i would have been in a lot of trouble to be honest because um michelle michelle's immobile or was it was completely immobile at the beginning of her healing process uh she's more mobile now but still needs kind of that field nurse <laughs> and i suck at that <laughs> i know she's gonna watch this later i want everybody to know i suck at being a field nurse and take no but credit for anything but
0: you're really good at installing bird feeders so that she can see the oh window. yes
1: i, I installed bird feeders and i put all the cameras in for the baby goats so she can see all the baby goats i can do that stuff i suck at field nursing but i'm trying um but now so it uh It's made it possible. I've actually been testifying remotely. Uh, So uh, I just yesterday testified on a three hundred ninety eight million dollar bill that we have for a technology package within the state of North Dakota. And uh, it's about three hours of testimony. My piece of it was about um, 45 minutes or so yesterday. Uh, I did the entire thing from here, from our farm here in Minnesota um, and testify there. I wear a tie when I'm on with the legislature, but other than that, (laughs) it's about the same. Um, uh, but other than the tie, yeah, it's, it's about the same. You, you, uh, you get on video and you talk with an entire committee and I've testified remotely, I don't know, a dozen, dozen and a half times already so far this year. Um, on different bills and different structures and budgets and all that kind of stuff so it's it's been um challenging to a point because it's it's harder that i can't uh i can't see every legislator as easily Mm -hmm. when it's because they're always big rooms and there's somewhere between six and 25 people in the room
0: and the cameras are probably a little spotty
1: yeah um so it's it's hard to be able to see the individuals you need to be able to talk to uh, but other than that, it's, it's actually been a really good experience. And, and, and when you've been in the smaller rooms, when it's, you know, three to four legislators and subcommittees, as they're called, you get in those subcommittees, that, that actually works very, very well. Yeah. And uh, the, the, uh, the reality is this is all new for the legislators, too, because this is all new to us. Um, compliments of COVID back in March of last year, so on, on the 13th of March of 2020... North Dakota went into its state of emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the the following week, we were given uh, an executive order to evacuate all government premises. Mm-hmm. So the IT teams, we moved about 7,000, well, it's more than 7,000 people in 48 hours from their on-prem, in-businesses, in buildings to home. And so 7,000 people that had never worked at home before just all of a sudden moved.
0: Can I ask a question about that?
1: Yeah.
0: When I worked for Mayo Clinic, they didn't allow people to work from home remotely for years because of confidentiality issues. And they wanted to make sure that we had, like, they gave us Cisco boxes and, like, you know, VPNs and all the different ways to, like, keep things secure. When you're working on that kind of time frame, I'm sure there was zero time to put any of those structures into place. So were people just like wi fiing it at home?
1: So so we have one huge advantage is that we had, for the two years ahead of that, already been working on models to enable cybersecurity in all those environments.
0: Because this is like your passion too, right?
1: Yep. Yep. And I'm a big cybersecurity guy and uh, I've got people who work for me are way, way smarter than me, but I I, I make up for it in, in enthusiasm. Um
0: You're and, so humble
1: <laughs> and it's uh it, it, it's it's really it's the cornerstone of today's world. So when you think about cybersecurity and the government information, right? So if you if you were to go to Target, right, and Target loses your data, you as a consumer have a choice. You can go to Walmart. Right. If Walmart loses your data, you have, again, a choice. You can go to ShopCo, Right. You can. Well, maybe not ShopCo anymore. You could go to Amazon. You can go (laughs) somewhere else. Right. You can always go somewhere because you have a choice as a consumer. As a government entity, what happens when the state you work for loses your data? Right. The state you live in loses your data. Pretty much all you can do is just put your face in your hand and start crying. Right. There's nothing you can do maybe you can move to north dakota where you can get better security but but other than that there's not a lot of options um the reality is is that government has a moral responsibility to keep your data safe because we force you to give it to us so that you can live within the environment you're in so we have to take better care of our information and that is something that we had started doing a couple years ahead of the pandemic in a comprehensive cybersecurity redesign, uh, and and that is something that's just huge in the state of North Dakota. The cybersecurity, you can go see we're a national leader there. Good. But when it came to this event and everybody going home, yeah, we we weren't prepared to do this in 48 hours. Um, we definitely were not prepared to do it in 48 hours, but most people were able to go home and get hooked up and be secure right out of the gates because we were designed to do that. Now we did have to make a ton of additions and changes. Um, We did see also a huge uptick in cyber attacks, but this was also nationwide and worldwide is because lots of bad actors out there were using COVID, frankly, taking advantage of the situation to go and attack folks
0: everywhere. Right. So, and then when you had this twenty or this forty-eight hour lead time, you had already had some systems in place, and then you've had almost a year, and then your your wife, which, by the way, your wife is just like this ray of sunshine. I love her, Um, (laughs) and so like I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you guys ended up together because you know, just coming from you know some dark times, it feels like um, things have have really brightened up there. Um, Then when she got injured you had also had systems in place over the course of the year because a year ago on March 13th, you wouldn't have been able to testify from home.
1: That's, that's right. So a year ago, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, The reality is, is that um, the legislature wasn't set up to be that way yet. Um, We had an advantage that this was in what's called an interim period. So you were between legislatures Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just, uh, one, one good thing of timing, I guess, as much horrible timing as everything happened with COVID and everything with it, but, mm-hmm. but one thing that was advantageous for timing, it also gave us several months to be able to prep uh, to really be able to prepare technology in, in different ways. So we sent all these folks home. And when we send 7,000 folks home in 48 hours, the reality is, is that it's a much bigger picture than that, right? So K-12 went home, higher ed went home, judicial branch went home, legislative branch went home, executive branch went home. And and that 48-hour window was just basically like one set of buildings that we just went in one shot. Um, but all of everybody within about a 10-day period of time started going home. And then what ended up happening is is we had to figure out how to enable government to continue doing the work that it's supposed to do. Right. So we're we're trying to figure out how can we turn on systems to allow all of these different aspects of government to keep on operating. And now my, <clears throat> our team's responsibility is mostly around the executive branch, but mm-hmm. we have technology that we offer out to all aspects of government in North Dakota. So in on a day over day basis, we've got 250,000 customers directly to my team that wow. we have to serve and we have to help them get their work done.
0: So a question about this, when you're sending everyone home and you're going home too, were people allowed to take equipment from their offices to make it easier for them to set up their offices at home? Because some people have had to just go with a laptop and that's it. What about you guys?
1: Yep. So we we had lots of laptops and uh, basically anybody who had a laptop, take it with you. If they were in a desktop environment, take it with you. Um, we Chairs? Had,
0: monitors? Uh,
1: Yep, monitors, docking stations, mice, uh, even uh, in my situation, you can't see this on my camera, but I've got a Veridesk here. I've took my Veridesk with me. Um, and in my case, I've, I've literally got a, a $19 plastic table that I bought at Walmart uh, that sits underneath a, a standing Veridesk, because <laughs> the standing Veridesk doesn't have its own legs. It's supposed to sit on top of a platform. Oh, um, I
0: don't even know what a Veridesk is. Can you just it's, enlighten it, me?
1: It raises up and sits <laughs> down. You pull the little levers on the side so that you can have a standing desk. Okay. Uh, so I brought I, I for myself, right? I brought my monitor, brought all my cables. I got my keyboard, my mouse, my little Veridesk. Uh, and it depended on the situation for everybody. Now, of course, nobody planned to do this. So folks were going home and we, we had... About 400 IT staff running all over the cities of Bismarck and Mandan, mostly, and a little bit in Fargo, a little bit in other communities, uh, Jamestown, etc. But mostly in Bismarck and Mandan, going through buildings, helping people disconnect, taking photos of all their stuff. We had our communications team running 100%. In fact, the whole group, I mean, we had almost everybody in IT working 100-hour weeks through March and into April. We finally got down to fewer hours for some people, but I still had staff who were doing the 80-hour and 100-hour weeks from March all the way through December uh, before we finally were able to start getting people out of that.
0: Oh, wow.
1: But uh, we, we put together a comms plan literally in a matter of two hours, um, and we just, took, we just took some cameras because we have some cameras for, for video that are there at the state for different projects. And we said, IT guy, get in front of the camera. I don't care that you're an introvert. Tell people how to do this. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, and we did the recordings right there on the spot. And they, here's how you do this. Here's this cable. You pull it in here. Here's this. See, take a look. And, and they did the videos. And then they'd move out. Another person come in and show them something else. And we took those videos and we just live streamed the videos. And then we threw them on a bunch of websites and said, watch these quickly. Then take your stuff apart and go.
0: Wow. And.
1: Um, yeah, and with about 400 IT staff running all over these buildings everywhere, uh, even myself. So I'm, I'm I'm chief information officer, cabinet member, the whole thing. I literally had my phone with an inventory list on it and I'm running up and down floors in the buildings going through, checking people off in a little checklist on my phone and saying, okay, this floor is empty. This floor is empty. This one's still got three people on it. Send someone here, you know. Uh, and uh, myself and my... Uh, chief data officer Dorman, uh, we, we were both in the Capitol building for the, the final day of evac and just going up and down floors and walking around and, you know, checking everybody out, but we sent everything home and people did what they had to do. So I would say <laughs> a vast majority of people were set up on their kitchen table for yep. the first couple of weeks. Um, they, they just set up wherever they had to, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, <laughs> the local towns, Bismarck, Mandan, Lincoln, all those towns, they ran out of tables like you couldn't mm-hmm. buy a table. You couldn't buy headphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, could, <laughs> you couldn't get a webcam to save your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we be, because I had a little bit of lead time, uh, given the job I have, I also work with the Department of Defense and I've been out in uh, Washington, D.C. about 10 days earlier for a briefing there and things were very interesting in that briefing so when i came back i said order some equipment order it now
0: good idea so
1: we, yeah so we happened to have a thousand webcams we bought a thousand extra webcams they were gone the first couple days and wow. then we ordered another 1500 and we didn't get those in for months uh laptops we couldn't get none of this equipment but it was Ooh. it was uh it was an
0: adventure I remember trying to order a headset for my kids to do online school, and it was, like, the bottom of the barrel, like, on Amazon or whatever. Um, you didn't get to choose the one that you wanted. You just got what was there. It was pretty interesting. I feel like like March 13th is going to be, like, burned into our memory, kind of like September 11th. You know, like, I remember exactly every single thing that I bought at Target that day. It was my last time into the store. And it's, like, I think we're going to all... It's going to take a few years to recover from... Did I hope those people that worked so hard, those 100-hour weeks, did they get a nice vacation at the end of that, I hope?
1: Well, that that's part of the problem, right, is uh, one is there was nowhere they could go, and yeah. two, everybody's hours have been so high that nobody's been able to take a vacation yet. Yeah. So my, my teams, um, we have 30,000 hours of unpaid overtime that we did connected mm. to COVID, and all of us have stacked our PTO up yeah. galore. And yeah. so nobody's taking the PTO yet. Yeah. Nobody's taking vacations yet. It's We're coming. hoping here as the vaccine rolls out that that's something yeah. we can start sending people to do.
0: Staycation, man. <laughs> do a staycation. That's,
1: that's about it.
0: Um, yeah. Speaking of uh vaccines, I actually unexpectedly got mine the other day. And I'll just say it right now because I... um you know, there's wait lists. And if you ever go to like a pharmacy or grocery store or a big box store that has a pharmacy, um, there's oftentimes a a way that you can get on a wait list um, for the unused doses at the end of the day that wouldn't otherwise go into someone's arm. They'll give it to anybody. And so I walked into our pharmacy 10 minutes before closing and I said, don't be frustrated with me, but I just have a question. Do you by any chance have a wait list for those unused wasted doses? And she's like, actually, do you want to get one right now? And I was like, Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Wow. Oh my goodness. And so I did get one that day. It was just a few days ago. Um, hey, Sean, we are going, to, going on two minutes before your next meeting. Do you want to wrap things up?
1: I, I can keep going. I mean, literally the few? meeting I have on the other side is another person's meeting and I go for information. So okay. if you want to keep going, I can keep going. Let's keep time. going
0: for a few more minutes. So changing gears, I wanted, I wanted to bring up one more memory from way in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Back when we were kids, when I graduated from high school, um, my parents bought me a computer and I wasn't allowed to take it with me to college. Uh, they wanted me to keep it in my parents' bedroom because they were, you know, concerned about the Internet and wanting to make sure that, you know, it was being monitored. And even though I was an adult, um, they gave me this Gateway 2000. Do you remember that?
1: I do. I had a Gateway 2000.
0: But I had mine yeah. first. Oh, and and you were
1: 133 Gateway You were.
0: You were yeah. jealous.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did it
0: have, like, six gig? Or was it
1: was oh, like super huge? Yeah, yeah. It was, like, six gigs of hard drive. So uh-huh. it was, like, super, super awesome then. Yeah. And now now I have this little thing, which you probably can't even see right here, right? here you go. Um, Itty-bitty little, little card that's about the thickness of a piece of paper. This particular one's 32 gigs, but I have one sitting here that's 128.
0: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Technology. Yeah. I was just teaching an English class, and they're talking about how technology has changed. And one of the biggest things, well, biggest, is that it gets smaller. You know, the more yes. advanced we are, the smaller it gets. So you're managing a team now can you talk a little yeah. bit about like what that feels like? I mean, maybe even outside of the pandemic stuff, yeah. um, helping people to adjust to the idea of working from home. Do people ever work from home normally in your field?
1: Yeah. So I, it is one of the fields that is more uh, acclimated to working from home. We're very used to working remotely. I would say it's, it's not often that you find an organization that's working from home this consistently Mm -hmm. as we've had to do through the pandemic, but uh, doing it on a a regular basis is very, very normal and has been for 20 years. Okay. So the, the interesting part though, so some things that I guess I didn't expect we'd be in. So I have an executive team, multiple executive officers in that executive team and there's directors and leaders and all through this and the executive officers I have one that we hired this year who is our chief customer success officer okay and uh, it's a very important role that helps us interact with our customers and make sure that they're getting what they need and I actually didn't meet with him in person until 4 months after he was already on, in the job so The entire interview process was online. The entire um, onboarding was online. When he came in, he had never physically met with any of the other executives. And I think, yeah, starting from July, I think it wore old until, I think it was October or November before I could actually physically meet with him. Mm -hmm. And I think I've only met with him twice physically now. And yet he's an executive officer who I talk to almost daily. Mm -hmm. Cornerstone of the team has a huge portion of the team. And we have, we have directors, Uh, in fact, one of our directors of, uh, cybersecurity, I had actually never seen his face until until four (laughs) or five months after is he, um, I think there was a, there was a video problem when we did the interview, uh, so we couldn't see the video and then uh after he got on well he's a cyber guy and the cyber guys don't tend to like to turn on the cameras all the time um because they had they have you know stuff around them that can be security related oh right so uh, it was like months in and i'm like huh i wonder what this guy looks like i had to go google him to go look up (laughs) the staff member that we had um and it is so that's that's definitely different and i think some other things that are different it's very strange but you're in a physical world and you get in a meeting room and the relationship building happens in the first, say, three to five minutes of every meeting, right? So you bring the exec team together or directors or no matter what team it is, right? They get together and the first three minutes it's, Hey, how was your weekend? How's yeah. the kids? Did you enjoy the fishing trip? Right. It's something personal that creates a connection with people yeah. that's that's helping to build that relationship. And in the physical world, that that's almost automated. Everybody just does it. You spend a few minutes and you and you kind of know that, hey, we're three minutes in, five minutes in, okay, let's get to the business now and we'll get to the topic, right? Mm-hmm. And if you came in and just sat down and said, okay, we're here for this and this and this, people will get offended by that, Right. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in the virtual world, it's the other way around. Uh The automated aspect, people, and and I'm not sure why, but they get on the schedule of these automated meetings and these video meetings. And so the meeting pops up and instantly it's, all right, we're here today to be able to, and they completely lose that interpersonal connection.
0: Yeah. I know some people are trying to kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, Something that we've had to now start doing intentionally. So we'll start the meeting with the first agenda item is relationship time. So that we take that three to five minutes to go, how's the kids? How was the fishing trip? You know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, that's, that's been different. And I feel like we're there's spending a... a lot more time in that performance management kind of very mm-hmm. focused on it.
0: I feel like there's some sort of like feeling that people have when they're working from home where they have to show that they're working when they're working from home. And that's, I think that must be one reason why people are like business only. And also, you know, we've got Zoom etiquette rules. Like you should have your camera on, or your camera on and your um, microphone off and people just sit there staring at each other and um some managers have had to be very like proactive and it can almost probably feel forced for some people but like hey we're gonna have our coffee hour or a team building meeting or something like that my husband has been working home from home for a year and they had their very first like basically happy hour or team building meeting that they had like actually scheduled in one year. Maybe it was because they had the anniversary of, you know, working from home that they found they're like, oh, we should probably do this. But mm-hmm. I don't think it happens really much, but I have, or very much, but I have other friends who actually schedule it, you know, for their team once a week or once a month. Um, but I like what you're thinking, you know, just throw it in for the first three minutes, every meeting, most meetings and just get it done naturally, more naturally. Yeah.
1: Yep, pretty pretty much any any meeting that has new people for the day in it. Uh, if you have a recurring meetings with the same people, we tend to do it the first meeting, maybe the second. Yeah. But then it kind of rolls. The other side is is uh, we encourage humor. It's okay to still have jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's weird because you don't you don't have to do any of this stuff in the real world, but in the virtual world, you have to kind of encourage people. It's okay to have fun. You know, you can still mm-hmm. pop a joke. Yes, your background can be silly. You know, <laughs> you can have something on there. Um, and, it, and it's interesting, but we, we try to kind of re-engage that and bring it forth. Uh, then the other side, and so as you said, people are trying to prove they're working. Uh, then you also, you have managers who, uh, frankly, come from the old school of life are 1970s and 1980s managers they may be a whole lot younger than that but they still have that mindset and they believe that if they can't stare at your computer screen or look over your shoulder they don't know if you're working
0: right and
1: it amazes me because most of those kind of managers uh you know you'll you'll talk to them and and before the pandemic i would get this all the time oh we can't send people home i don't know what they're working on Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i go okay do you know what they're working on right now because you're not staring at them, you're staring at me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And this is, a, this is a misconception, misunderstanding of business, right? Staring at your staff doesn't mean they're doing the right work, right? right? It's, you need to have structured process that understands what is the demand on that individual and what are the results that you're expecting mm-hmm. and what are the outcomes that you're intending to get. Yeah, and those things should be managed through the manager. And mm-hmm. what you'll find is you're going to find a lot of managers, a lot of managers, that don't know that, and they've simply always managed by feel rather than managed through process.
0: Or and creating that's we're having to really evolve really fast. Or creating like an atmosphere of fear, like you're going to have repercussions if you don't do it exactly the way that I expect you to, versus a a, a feeling of trust. Um, yes. I and I've talked with people who are kind of on both sides, you know. Like even yeah. in these interviews that I've done, um, you know, some people are allowing their teams to have a very flexible schedule to accommodate, you know, especially during the pandemic. Like you know, I needed to care for my children, or I've, um, you know, got some household responsibilities that you know, rather than having to commute, maybe I'm going to have like a longer lunch time, um, and take care of a few things, um. I want want to keep going, but I know we're running short on time. I have another thing I want to ask you about that was one of my main reasons I wanted to talk to you. Since I mentioned that you live in that rural area near my parents, when I go to visit my parents, I cannot work from their home. They live down by, it was the Zembro River. Um, They live in a tiny dip of a valley down by um, Dodge Center, Minnesota. And there's so many trees around. They have woods and everything that they only have satellite um, internet, and that wasn't acceptable for the companies that I was trying to do. like we're doing video remote through, you know, to the other side of the world. I'm talking to people in real time in China and trying to like sing songs with these kids. And you know, sometimes that leg that you have or the bad ping or whatever it is just sucks. Um, uh-huh. And I couldn't pass the IT test to work at my parents' home. And I would have to, like, go bunk up, you know, with my brother or my sister or somewhere else to be able to work if I was trying to travel and work at the same time. How the heck do you have good enough Internet where you live out on the farm?
1: <laughs> um, so so there's there's two aspects of this. So one, on with with North Dakota, which is not where this farm is, but on the North Dakota side. So North Dakota has had an incredible vision on this. And in North Dakota... <laughs> Practically every single home, everywhere, regardless of location, out in the middle of the sticks or downtown Fargo, has gig-capable internet.
0: What? Uh,
1: North Dakota. Yep, yeah, North Dakota is one of the most connected states in America. It is the best rural coverage in America. We're literally in the upper ninety-nine percentile of our of our our citizenry has awesome internet. What? And that is because there was a foresight 20 years ago that the internet was going to become the backbone of the economy Mm -hmm. and that foresight allowed the state to really be able to push that across the board now pretty much every other state around them doesn't have that including minnesota where i am it's nowhere near that that uh high-end internet oh no so where i am right now uh, on this farm, I I kind of cheated. I literally went to an internet service provider and said, I will let you put a tower on my property as long as I get internet for the rest of my life. And I literally, you can't see this out the video, but if if you could uh, see my window here off to the left, I have a 120 foot tower that sits on the north side of the farm. And that tower provides us internet access. And we get, uh, you know, pretty decent speeds Uh, we have a little problem with the wind and the snow and the rain on occasion but uh, for the most part it's pretty good speeds but but the other good part is is it actually means that most of the rest of about a seven mile radius in all directions can connect to this tower so as long as you can see the tower you can get internet here and uh, so we have other neighbors who put towers on their corn cribs or they put a tower out of their backyard uh, so you, if you drive down here, you'll see all these little pokey 120 foot towers right. <laughs> connecting the internet for all the farms down here. And and this is something that people don't realize is that, yeah, um, especially, so if you're, if you're from the inner city and you are from a big city and you have not spent time in, in rural areas, they tend to think of the rural areas as the backwoods, Hicks, Redneck. You know, that's, that's the picture of us, but I'll tell you, I have more IP addresses and I have more cameras and I have more technology here than you have in your home. Oh, I believe you. <laughs> right. And we some of the projects we're working on right now, right, uh, autonomous farming is a huge project that we're working on in what's called the Grand Farm in North Dakota. It's one of the first farms in the world to be fully robotic, fully autonomous, where the tractor drives itself. There's no human on it. There's, you know, the the little, the really cool one is the one with the solar panels on the back that goes and picks all the weeds all by itself. You know, I mean, some really cool technology. It's like a little so Mars little rover
0: that can pick yep, weeds. Yeah, little
1: Mars rover <laughs> looking thing. It's just, it's got little wheels instead of big wheels. That's about it. Um, but, uh, you know, that kind of technology is changing the face of agriculture right now. Uh, robotic dairy farms, where the cows can go in and milk themselves simply by walking in, And then they go and feed themselves and then they get to go out into the fields again, right? It's super great for the cows. It's super great for for everyone because we're able to get better production, but it's fully automated where Mm -hmm. there's two humans watching, you know, huge, huge herds and they're doing it on screens. Right. I mean, the reality is, is ag is massive in technology.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, really, they have to be to keep up. But I know that that whole conversation probably evokes a whole bunch of different kinds of feelings and different people. But um, it it's does. amazing. It's amazing to think of what we can do now that we couldn't even 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, we're rounding up here <laughs> um, as far as about an hour. Do you want to... Um, Just chat about any advice that you'd give people who are trying to decide if they want to work from home or who are just have been thrown into it, you know, in this past year that they might be able to improve their situation. I know a lot of people are just winging it and are getting burnt out and can't wait to get back to the office. And other people are like, hey, we love this. We want to make this, but we need to make it long lasting. Like, for instance, for me, I I noticed a lot of people talk about they start to develop a lot of pain because we're sitting wrong at the kitchen table or whatever. What things have helped you? to adjust and what would you recommend people to consider for the future?
1: So, so first of all is, is change the process, right? And there's defined rules around change, but you, you need to take some time to ensure that, uh, you do like the change or do not like the change based on real things instead of your emotional response right? Hmm. Uh, The reality is, is most of us were sent home super fast. We didn't get a lot of uh, ability to absorb that change. Yeah. Now that most of us have been in this for a year, in in theory, you can kind of back away from the emotion and start looking at the reality Mm -hmm. and go, okay, what would make this better if I were to stay here, right? And in this environment, so for me, it was frankly, getting a little table with a dedicated space um, and making that dedicated space so that the dogs and the cats and the goats stay on the other side of the door. Right. Um, But having that little. I'm just imagining
0: like bleeding happening as you're like testifying.
1: uh, Well, not as I've been testifying, but it has happened during lots of meetings. I even brought a little (laughs) baby goat onto a meeting a couple weeks ago. So that people could see it and they could name it in the meeting, it was one of our <laughs> events. But um, but um, and Goaty McGoatface was what they came up with. But I don't think it's going to stay with that. So, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, take take that time to step back, look at your environment, and decide what can you improve, and make a couple small improvements. They don't need to be massive. You don't need to redesign your home. You don't need to you know, put 5,000 bucks into, you know, changing a room up, just look at it and see what are a couple of small things. And then from that, decide, is this worth it now? And the reality is, is that um, some of us are going to get to choose whether we go back into an office, whether we stay at home or whether we do both. And most of my team is both hybrids. Mm -hmm. Some of us get to make that choice. Some of us aren't going to be to make that choice and other people are going to make that choice for us. Mm-hmm. So you you need to be able to look at your situation and go, well, what can I do to improve this component of the situation? And that's that's just a big aspect for people uh, really to just absorb that and realize that you can make small improvements to make yourself feel better. You, you mentioned uh, you know, back problems. Well, I got a real chair. Mm -hmm. No, right so uh, my chair before was a nice chair but not a chair you want to sit in for six to eight to ten hours a day
0: what is this one that you got i'm assuming you probably researched it
1: oh um uh now you had to ask me that i'll have to look that
0: up is it a steel case
1: uh no i don't think so
0: my husband's on a steel case i'm not sure if it's the same or not
1: yeah
0: (laughs) i'm on a super old one from mayo clinic do you recognize yeah, it does. Purple, I was going yeah. to say, it does kind of look like a mail <laughs> Yeah. Um. So, and then you were just talking about the whole putting the internet on your own property. Um. If you, yeah. if we have any listeners who are like sitting out in the middle of nowhere, not that it's nowhere, but in the middle of nowhere in terms of like internet pr- providing, <laughs> internet coverage. Um. Yeah. How long did that process take? Like, what did you say to the internet company? And like, did you? pay them did they pay you is there just an agreement that you get free internet like how does that actually work
1: oh so so in my specific situation um it was about three months the actual the negotiation on the whole thing was only a few days the reason it took three months is because it took that long to order a tower and get it installed um the the tower uh it, it it depends on your your farm or your land, your property, and what kind of tower you can have, etc. Mine, mine is um, uh, self suspended, meaning it's a 120 foot tower, but it doesn't require any guidelines, right? So then there's a big concrete pad underneath the tower, big tower up on the concrete pad, there's no guidelines. um, And in this neck of the woods, I've got pine trees galore, 70-foot pine trees all around it. So I'm in a no-fly zone for all crop dusters and that kind of stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So for for us, it was really fast. Uh, For somebody else, I mean, uh, depending on where you live, you might need a taller tower. You might need one that's suspended. You know, those are all things you'd have to work through. But if you go to your local ISPs, I mean, especially if you go to some of the smaller ones, I mean, if you call Verizon and say, hey, can you put a tower? Verizon's like, nah, that's not going to happen. But uh, in my case, uh, it's a company called uh, Radio Link Internet. They're a small organization that provides Internet services around this side of the state. Uh, I know they provide up near Dodge Center, so uh, so maybe you can give them a call. But, uh, you know, you call those providers. There's a lot of those kind of entrepreneurial folks out there that uh, would love to do that. And they paid for the tower. I didn't pay for that. They pay for the install. I didn't pay for that, um, and I get uh, free internet forever. Um, I could have maybe got a revenue deal if I wanted to, but You're you know, like that's I don't care. I just need,
0: yeah. I just need internet and really good yeah. internet. Um, I remember back in the day when people started like putting windmills on their property, and they'd get paid like money, like uh, I don't know, three hundred thousand a year or something like that. Um. And I, I wonder if the ISPs are getting more people who want them to put towers, or if they're having a hard time finding people to put towers because of the concerns about you know 5G and all these things.
1: Uh, you know that that kind of stuff. It all depends on the area you're in, too. I mean, uh, so the this gets a little this gets a little nerdy, but the the frequency that this tower uses is non non-conf, non conflictual with other tower so this tower will not conflict with you know cell phones
0: okay right
1: um so this one is a different frequency that allows you to be able to connect um you will have to figure that out for your area if this is something you want to do um and if you're you know if you're near small communities a lot of small communities they band together and do this themselves they can put up one tower between the community you know if you get a group of 80 people or something Um, we've seen that multiple times in this neck of the woods, especially Mm -hmm. because Southeast Minnesota just didn't have good coverage. But you'd see, you know, uh, neighbors band together to be able to go to an ISP and make it worth it for them uh, to be able to get a tower bill.
0: When I was, when my husband was interviewing for jobs, he was like on a 15 month job hunt for some time after he finished grad school. And, you know, every single time he'd apply for a new job, I was like, I was house hunting. I was like looking at schools and neighborhoods and parks and discovery centers. And like, what will this community offer for us? And at one point he had done three interviews with the place out of um, Kansas City. And I went up with him one day, like on that weekend, because it it seemed like it was like ready to, those people never even let him know if he got the job. He got offered the job here in Arizona before they even, they never even let him know. Um, but we were like house hunting, like looking for rentals and like, you know, whatever. Um, and there was the cutest little house out in the country and it didn't have anything other than, um, satellite out there. And we were looking at, I was calling all the internet. I mean, we were really kind of putting the cart before the horse here, but you know, as a mom and I had just had a baby and like, we're just trying to get things set in place. Mayo wouldn't let me work there in that location because I couldn't get internet that was up to their standard. I They didn't allow us to use satellite. And so then what people would do is they would dig. They would dig a cable and, yep. you know, communities would get together and pay the five or $7,000 to dig that cable out there. But then I called other companies and they said, sorry, we can't dig a cable because there's a river and we can't get past the river. And so... Um, I'm thinking about my parents, and I don't remember if it was that radio one that you just said, um, but I contacted one of those companies to be like, hey, I mean, if I could pay for my parents to get better internet so I can stay at their property when I um, come to visit, it would be worth it, even if it was just for a few months. But I think it was the tree lines. Like, they, I think this company that I talked to, they, like, do kind of like a, how do you say it, like an extender type thing? Like, they bounce from another satellite, and they, yeah, but the tree lines, we couldn't do it.
1: Well, there's there's a ton of options nowadays. Uh, so as you said, so fiber uh, along the ground, fiber on the on the ground is the best way. It's also the most expensive. It mm-hmm. uh, can easily cost a million dollars a mile to dig fiber.
0: Oh my!
1: So it's we were just looking at cable. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's just that's the nature of the beast. It's expensive to dig it. It's expensive to put it in. Uh, the and the phone companies and the telecom companies, you know, they're they're paying that, much less you paying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one way. Radio is uh, radio internet is a great way for a lot of communities. That's what mine is. Mine is all radio internet here. The other stuff is satellite, and the satellite that you're talking about, there's different kinds of satellite now. If you look at the SpaceX side, the Starlink is uh, another one. That's one that is becoming more available everywhere as well uh some of those uh i don't know about southeast minnesota because I, I haven't looked but i can tell you it's available in north dakota um you can get satellite internet through starlink in north dakota but um uh, we use it for certain projects uh across the state but but there are a lot of options nowadays and you gotta um y- you gotta keep searching for it because the reality is is the internet is the uh, electricity of today yeah. You know if you don't have your internet it is very difficult to be able to stay connected to the world
0: it's like for the people who want to live in a rural area and be able to work from home it's it's a hurdle that some people will have to you know jump over that you know people who live in the metro areas like when we live here it's like easy to have gig um a gig yeah. of you know speed whatever no no problem that's just common like expected. But, um, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. If you, if you can get through that. Mm-hmm. All right, Sean, shall we?
1: Yeah.
0: It's been fun talking to you, my old friend. Yeah, yeah it's been <laughs> please, a great time. please give my love to your family. And I have been enjoying watching the, the goats. Um, So Michelle was actually, um, she was injured while the goats were still pregnant, right? Yes. So she was, like, already on goat watch for, like, weeks, and then this happened.
1: <laughs> yep. She was on super-duper goat watch. She was expecting, in fact, uh, when she had her accident, that was the next thing out of Alex's mouth. And the and the goats are going to give birth tonight. And I'm like, oh, please. Thank you. That's wonderful. Did they?
0: They didn't, did uh, they? No.
1: Luckily, it was still, like, another two weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think he was reacting to mom's uh, reaction. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was still a couple more weeks. But yeah, we were uh, we were there checking the goats three times a day, and uh, that is that is probably my hardest part. Here is that um, um, Michelle has expected me to take up all her hobbies and keep her hobbies rolling <laughs> while she's in this situation, while I'm trying to work. So that's that's probably the bigger challenge for me is uh, trying to make sure all, all of her different critters are doing what they're supposed to be doing while she's unable to be mobile.
0: So, you need to bring in like a farm nanny, like someone who can like come in and like watch all the kids, literally.
1: A, 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 a nanny, a real nurse, because I suck at that. A real nurse would be great. <laughs> Both.
0: <laughs> a nurse yeah, for your yeah. wife and a uh, nanny for all the goats.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Oh, uh, well, good luck. Um, thank you for taking this time out of your super busy week and appreciate the conversation. I feel like I learned a lot of things about you that I didn't know. I had never heard your How We Met story. Um, no. And a few extra helpful things, too. Appreciate it. Yeah.
1: No, that's great. And uh, thanks for having me on. Happy to yeah. be
0: here. Yeah, good. All right. Well, this is April Malone with Sean Riley, and this has been Yes, I Work for Home. Take care.